I did six stores in a row that crossed a million dollars in revenue. Each one of them. I was wow. arrogant, young, inexperienced, gutsy, not afraid, and I used to wear a t-shirt that said failure is not an option. Okay? Until I experienced failure. And then I learned my biggest lessons. And today fast forward 33 years later, the t-shirt I would give to my child is failure is the only way you learn. Failure is the biggest lesson. Success is sweet, but failure is where the secret sauce in the recipe is. Welcome to the In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and joining me today is celebrity stylist, author, entrepreneur, and CEO of Ziba Beauty, Sumitra Batra. With over 30 years of experience as an entrepreneur and pioneer in the beauty industry, Sumita shares her strategy for overcoming adversity and her advice for building and sustaining a resilient business during times of crisis. Please enjoy this episode with Sumita Batra. Samita, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a delight to have you. I'm so excited. I grew up in a family business. My mom was an entrepreneur, so I have have just such high regard for women who are pioneers in their field, and you certainly are one. You've had Zeta Beauty for 33 years, I think, and it's just it's just a delight to talk to you. You've been a pioneer in the space, bringing threading, I think, to the United States, and really looking forward to learning more. But I'd like to start as sort of at the beginning and hear a little bit more about your your background, a little bit about whether or not you always wanted to be in the beauty industry, or whether this was you know your pathway to being businesswoman. So what led you down this path and what what led to Ziba Beauty? It's so funny you use the word pioneer. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You use the word pioneer. I laugh because Ziba Beauty started on Pioneer Boulevard in the city of Artesia, California. How cool is that? (laughs) And our headquarters is still to date on Pioneer Boulevard in the city of Artesia. So, you know, pioneering something on Pioneer Boulevard, it's always fun to hear that word because it means something completely different to me than it may to most of the people who are listening to this thing. When I hear the word pioneer, I think of Little India, I think of Artesia, I think of Zebra Beauty, and I think of my heritage and history and actually growing up. I even met my husband on Pioneer Boulevard. So So we really hold meaning for you. Yes. Yes. That's wonderful. Uh, We are a family that is of Indian, Southeast Asian descent and heritage. I was born and brought up, I was born in England, but the rest of my family is born and brought up in Iran. And so when the Khomeini regime took over Iran and a lot of people left, we were one of the families that literally had to leave our home country. And we went to India and for my parents, it was the first time in their lives they actually moved to India. By heritage, they were Indian, but they really, by culture, they were Persian, they were Mm -hmm. Iran. And uh, hence the name Ziba. It means beautiful in Farsi. We speak Persian. So we stayed in India for about seven years and as a family just could not adjust to the cultural differences between the Tehran and the Iran that we left was much more metropolitan. It was like 
the US and LA is right now. Mm-hmm. And actually, the largest populations of Iranians outside of Iran live in LA. Mm. It's called like interesting. And a lot of them migrated to Los Angeles. And so we moved to LA about 35 or 36 years ago and struggled like an immigrant family would with jobs and with not much. And we used to go to Pioneer Boulevard to get our groceries and get our Indian sort of needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jewelry stores, the fashion shops were there. And my mom, while she was in India, had actually gone to beauty school because she was very interested and passionate about beauty. And so she went to beauty school, got her license. But when when we got here to the US, she took a job. And while she was working, she converted her Indian beauty license into a American aesthetics license. Mm-hmm. And one of the ladies that we used to shop at, I call her Jyoti Auntie. In our culture, if you're older, you call them Auntie or Didi Didi means big sister. And she would always tell my mom that, you know, you should open up a salon. There's a salon on Pioneer Boulevard. And all these Indian ladies, you know how to do threading, you know how to do mendi. You, you know, you should open up a salon. And when my mom lost her job with the company that she was working for, she basically ended up taking a storage, which was 400 square feet of a restaurant on Pioneer Boulevard and converted it into a salon. And that's how Ziva was born. That's exciting. So you and your mom started this together. What a beautiful story. It was actually my mom, myself, and my sister. Okay, three of you. Uh There's three of us. And I was the mouthpiece and the spokesperson. And I was the person that always sort of had a natural entrepreneurial marketing personality. Mm -hmm. I didn't really even know the word or understand branding. I was 18 years old. Wow. I had just graduated from high school. and you know, to me, it was sort of like, this is what you do. Your mom opens a business and you support your mom in that business. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. Very family-oriented culture, right? And, and that, that shows up in family businesses. Is your sister still working with you? Yes. Your mom? Yes. Today, there are five owners of Ziba. My brother, my sister, myself, my husband, and my mom are equal shareholders. And each one of us has their specialty. I have happened to be the middle child, but I'm the CEO with absolutely no argument and or dissent within the family. My mom and my husband does ops. My brother is our legal counsel and my sister's education. She's the one with the actual skill set of teaching the art form. And my mom, we call her the human calculator. She's our... (laughs) our bank, our everything, our finance, our lifeline. Even yesterday, I bet you even today, I've been coming to Ziba headquarters and I just sent her a text in the morning saying, mom, I'm meeting with someone today. Could you send lunch? She'll send really beautifully packed homemade food to us. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) She lives down the street from here. So that's, that's my mom. Yeah. So, so, you know, not every family has that kind of experience, but congratulations that you've got, <laughs> you've got that, you've got, uh, you know, a wide variety of skills and you respect each other and you each have a way to contribute and share in that. That's, that's a beautiful story. I love that. Now you've got about 14 locations, I think I read now. So, so Ziva started there on Pioneer Street, and now are you, you've got 14 locations all around the L.A. area. Is that right? We have 14 studios that are all closed at the moment. We have 14 studios in California, one in Northern California, 13 in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And majority of the stores are mall-based 
We are a mall-based brand and we are considered by the major developers in the United States as the best in class because we have always kept very elevated service experiences because these were street art forms and there were really no regulations and no classes, no curriculum. So what we did over the past years is develop and write the curriculum. I'm the author of the book, The Art of Mendy, published by Penguin Viking and Carlton Books. So we've really elevated these street art forms and created curriculum and education around it and then have a certification program out of our headquarters, which has got an academy in it. Oh, wonderful. So there is a big part of the pioneer, actually, being a leader in your space. Now, you mentioned that you had not, you were 18, and so you didn't have a lot of training and preparation for this. Did you have people along the way or other ways that you feel like, I think you mentioned to me that it's about learning. So do you have any stories or any experiences or anything you could share about how you've prepared yourself for this journey? So when Ziba started, I was in junior college, and then I transferred to Cal State Long Beach. I'm one year short of finishing my bachelor's degree, which kind of is because, honestly, I was working and I didn't have the time. Right. Started working. And what that did is, in a way, kind of give me sort of like an insecurity Mm -hmm. that I wasn't sure if I knew everything. And so as the company started to grow and I transitioned up, I found people along the way that I just sort of latched myself onto and they became my mentors. Obviously my mom was my biggest mentor. And what I did was I started to anything that was a challenge, an issue or a need in the business. And I still do that today is I'll hire consultants that, you know, will come in and have an expertise that I learned from. I'm a quick learn. I learn very, very quickly. And so Along the way, I've picked up people that, for instance, there's a client whose husband had taken a brand. I don't know if you remember Clothes Time. It was a retail brand ways back. Mm-hmm. Basically, he was the controller and he took Clothes Time, ended up in bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It went public and then it ended up in bankruptcy. And he got a, a bunch of people together, investors together, and took it out of public, made it private again grew it, fixed it, and became the CEO and sold the company. And so he would come and he would come and sit here in the waiting room watching his wife get her eyebrows done. Mm -hmm. And he was observing all the things that we were doing and the fact that we were growing. And so he kind of adopted me. Initially, he actually tried to help me expand. And at the time mom was leading, I was sort of like co-piloting per Mm -hmm. se. And so I was like, my mom won't let me do this. But, you know, he kind of adopted me and I kind of latched on to him. But what would happen is he would tell me the things that we needed to do to grow the brand. And then it would take me sometimes up to two years to make those things happen. So I would be so overwhelmed with all the things he would do. And I would latch on to him. And I was like, I want to do all these things. But, you know, I would maybe see him once a year. Because it would take me, it became almost, I didn't realize it at the time, but what he was doing was doing strategy sessions with me. Right. right. You know, kind of giving me a roadmap and, you know, those planning sessions don't take much time, you know, but executing a plan. And it's all in the execution, right? Right. It takes a lot longer. Yeah. come up with, oh, I'm going to make this beautiful product, but then really executing on that, you know, it takes time. 
So right. along the way, as these consultants came in, I started to hire them. And some of them, I just sort of, they became my mentors. And I started to learn and implement and execute on the strategies that I learned. And then I read voraciously. I attend trend briefings and I attend trade shows. And I like talking to people that are experienced and educated. And my education is like, I continue to look at executive MBA programs and I don't find them inspiring because I feel like I'm not really going to learn anything that I haven't already done. Oh yeah. yeah. I find it more interesting and exciting to talk to a person like you and have that conversation and dialogue because I learn in that environment a lot better than I do in a classroom. I've never been a classroom person. You know, I'm so excited listening to you talk. I'm an educator, but I'm also a believer in this lifelong learning. And I just wrote a blog post, which was posted yesterday, about beginner's mind. And what you're exhibiting, what you're talking about is beginner's mind. This idea of being open to learning. And I talk to my students a lot about how entrepreneurship is like yoga. You don't expect to perfect it. You show up every day and you do your best and you learn. And you'd feel uh, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell people that I relate to the crazy ones ad from Apple that's that, right, Apple. right, literally framed in my office. Like, that's my brother gave it to me as a gift. But I relate to that, it feels like it describes me. And it makes me feel less alone because in the leadership role, almost all the time, there is nobody else that can truly understand mm -hmm. what is going on and what mm -hmm. your world, what your perspective is and what that, your viewpoint is really. That's a um, good point. It is kind of lonely at the top. And knowing that there are others out there that I think you were also, weren't you a member of YPO or YEO? Yeah. Yes. And that's what they, with the forums and the groups, that really is helpful. Yes. As well, I, think I was the first and only woman in my chapter. And I lasted about, I tried, I lasted about two and a half years. It's an amazing organization, a bunch of fantastic guys, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And by the time I discovered the women in YPO, they were just so spread apart that the daily grind of it, I just could not, it, it was not for me. Mm -hmm. but I learned a lot. And I also realized that, you know, it's just, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to not want to feel alone in my organization, I'm going to have to get out there and network and be around other leaders. And that happens in the, these forums and it happens in these organizations and by stepping out and meeting other people from outside the organization. But in your organization as the leader, you're the only one. There is only one CEO in every company, right? right? So if when I look to the right and I see that statement, it just helps me not feel alone. It yeah. helps me feel not insane. It makes me feel crazy, but <laughs> I, I think crazy is good. <laughs> yeah, and you, you've got company, right? That's, yeah, that's I've got company. So you've worked with many celebrities and high-end clients like Beyonce, Madonna, Naomi Campbell. That's kind of fun, right? How did you first get introduced into that? And, and what's it like working with celebrities? Any, any stories, any thoughts? <laughs> I'm sure you love all of your clients, but somehow the celebrities are kind of interesting to talk about. Yeah, I mean, some of my best and worst experiences have been with celebrities. <laughs> we won't talk about the worst. But how we got, or how I started was a very well-known publicist came to Ziba and she got her services done and she got her hands painted with henna, went to a couple of parties and got a lot of attention. 
She happened to be the stylist for Vanity Fair and I believe Vogue at the time. Mm-hmm. She's passed away since then. Her mm-hmm. name was Lorenz Scott. She came to Ziba. She liked the henna and she decided to hire us to do henna for Vanity Fair, a Vanity Fair shoot. And I thought I was hired to do Elizabeth Taylor. So I got all excited. I knew who she was. And I went to, we went to a dry lake bed in the desert in the middle of like between LA and Vegas. Mm -hmm. I get there and there's this young lady there, really beautiful, very slim, beautiful. But I had no idea who the hell she was. (laughs) I was expecting Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, and it was was Liv Tyler. And, oh. and I look at my husband and he's like, I'm like, who's this girl? And, and he's like, it's Steven Tyler's daughter. And I'm like, who's Steven yeah. Tyler? I had no idea who he was. I'd never heard of Aerosmith. <laughs> I'd never heard the song. I couldn't tell you even today an Aerosmith song because I was in Little India on Pioneer Boulevard listening to my Indian music. Those seven years that I was in India were formative years where I developed my taste and I developed right. my, my attachment to all things Indian, you know? And so it's, you know, we just go ahead and for me to get into this world, I mean, I didn't even know. I mean, all of us drove to this shoot. The photographer came on a helicopter. Mm. The photographer was Herb Ritz. Right. This was my first celebrity. Wow. Wow. They said they were were going to provide breakfast and we were expecting donuts and coffee and there were salmon poach eggs. There was tiger cubs and stallions at this shoot. I'm going, what's going on over here? (laughs) You know? And that led me to making friends with the hairdresser on the shoot, who is a very well-known hairdresser, Peter Savick. He still works in the industry. He does all the Kardashians. He's very well-known. And I became friends. And through them, I met someone I'm actually partnering with now, Madeline Leonard, who owns an agency called Cloutier Remix. And from there came Madonna and Beyonce. And at the time, when I was doing a lot of henna, uh, No Doubt was coming out and Don't Speak had become a huge hit. And Gwen Stefani was dating Tony Canal, who was the bass player and he's South Mm -hmm. South Asian. And they used to come to Pioneer Boulevard to shop because she used to like the Bindis and Mendy and all of that. And so, you know, a lot of different things kind of started to happen at the same time. And through the years, I've just been able to, I think, create a relationship with all the people that I have met along my pathway and they like me and they refer me and the jobs keep coming. That's so exciting. So tell us a little bit, you've got 14 stores. What are the services that Ziba Beauty provides? Ziba is well known for the art of threading. It's our registered trademark globally. And threading is a form of hair removal, which takes a cotton thread, thread twists it and runs it along the skin. And that twisted part grabs the hair by the follicle and pulls it. The artist has a significant amount of control in doing this. So we can take one hair out at a time or we can take a line of hair out at the same time, which gives us the ability to give you the absolute best possible shape for your eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And it gives us the ability to remove the fuzz, remove the stubborn hair on your chin, or you might have some hormonal problems. So men and women that experience threading, pretty much it's an addictive service. It's something you get done regularly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Majority of the people that come to us, come to us every 
two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. We are part of their grooming routine. We service about 45 to 50,000 customers a month. And this was pre-COVID. And so we're known for hair removal, essentially. We do threading, waxing, and then artistically, we're known for mendi, which is the art of mendi, and then some bridal makeup that is part and parcel of our heritage. We do mm-hmm. Indian draping of saris and henna and Indian bridal makeup, those type of things. But that's very ancillary and secondary. The primary business is we shape eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's so exciting. And, and like we said, you've, you've been a pioneer in establishing that industry. So, so you mentioned COVID. And actually, right now, as we talk, we've got other problems with all of the, the rioting and the protesting and looting of stores. I know Southern California has been hit pretty hard. Let's back up before we kind of talk about those. As a pioneer in the industry, working in this space for over 30 years, I'm guessing you've had your share of challenges along the way. And one of the reasons that I started this podcast was to share inspiring stories with early stage entrepreneurs and students who want to be entrepreneurs. And we talk a lot about the importance of resilience that failure and mistakes and challenges and problems are going to be part of the journey for success. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about that or any stories that you'd be willing to share even before, and then we'll get into what you're dealing with right now. Well, you know, I used to wear a t-shirt that read failure is not an option. I did six stores in a row that crossed a million dollars in revenue, each one of them. I was arrogant, young, inexperienced, gutsy, not afraid. And I used to wear a t-shirt that said failure is not an option, okay, until I experienced failure. And then I learned my biggest lessons. And today, fast forward 33 years later, the t-shirt I would give to my child is failure is the only way you learn. Failure is the biggest lesson. Success is sweet, but failure is where the secret sauce in the recipe is. And so to me, you know, I continue to learn from failures daily. I fail daily now, and I'm okay with that. I used to call myself a perfectionist, and, and I now say perfectionism, and perfection is the enemy. It is never going to be perfect. There is no such thing as perfect. Perfection is a subjective state based on, you know, your idea of perfect and my idea of perfect is going to be completely different. And so I don't allow these notions to stop me. I now no longer wait for the perfect product to launch it. I launch and I continue to improve it. And I'm not afraid of failure. That I'm not afraid of, you know, because success is, it comes, it's a byproduct of hard work, hard work. And the reason it's called hard is because it's hard. It's not easy work. Hard work is hard. Work is also, if you, if you look at the connotations, it's work. It's not play. It's, it's something you actually have to do, <laughs> you right. know? And so for me, I think that along the way, I learned HR 
I learned HR and the meaning of human resources. We were already 11 locations and we had a walkout. We had a class action lawsuit filed against us based on lies and jealousy, but it was a class action lawsuit for wage and hour in California. All these lessons. And, you know, I remember feeling so dejected and so sort of frustrated. And, you know, someone had taken out, like, just lies were spreading. And my PR person at the time was like, the only thing we we request you to do is be quiet. Because if you fan this fire and if you feel it's just going to be fuel, if you respond, these are lies, you've got to let it sort of, it'll die down. It was so difficult. That must have been really hard. Very, very hard. And yet now when I look at it, now that I'm through it and I'm on the other side, I just want to tell myself like, it's going to be okay. You're not going to die not the end of the world. Everything will work out. It has its way. It will work out. Just don't give up. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay with the conviction, you know? And so I'm not that person anymore. And yet I'm still the same person. I just am evolving and learning that, you know, this is going to happen the way it's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that story because, you know, I think sometimes we have to to fall in order to understand that story. Sometimes we have to experience it, but it's, it's so wonderful that you're willing to share that because perhaps somebody else listening to this is out there struggling right now and they know that by hearing you say you're going to survive, that they'll get through their problems as well. And I mentioned a few minutes ago, and you've mentioned, you know, we've been under a few months of isolation with COVID And I'm sure that that has probably led to some changes for your business. You know, I'm absolutely certain because you're in a personal services area. Uh, You're also probably struggling right now because I know California and Los Angeles have been hit pretty hard with, with all the protests and there have been a lot of retail stores damaged. Can you talk to us a little bit about these two big crises, if you will, that we've been facing in 2020 and how you're dealing with that and maybe some thoughts for others who might be out there right now struggling with what you're you're going through March 13th was my daughter's 25th birthday my firstborns and you know I won't forget it because that was the day that I was forced to make a very difficult decision which was to shut down all my studios I felt in doing my research and as I continued to understand covid and the coronavirus that you know, it's spread through touch and it's spread through consumption from touch onto the body. And we are touch services. So it absolutely, I just did not feel comfortable risking. We service 45, 50,000 customers a month. So you can imagine the kind of volume of people we touch. Mm-hmm. We recline you back. We, you know, so to me, it was sort of like a no-brainer. I had to, but I, what I didn't anticipate was that it was going to be that on Monday, this was Friday, and on Monday, I was going to actually have to lay off everybody. And it was because we were in the beginning of our journey in terms of, we were the beginning beginning of the month is what we were. We'd already paid payroll, we'd already paid rent, and we're a cash flow business. Money comes in, money goes out. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. So when I had to lay off everyone, it triggered a second payroll within the first 13 days 
15 days of the month after having paid my loans, after having paid my rent, after having paid the first payroll, it just depleted our cash flow completely. Mm-hmm. My mom and I ended up having to put a couple hundred thousand dollars in our sa- of our savings to pay the team. So there was a lot of devastation. There was a lot of, I joke with everybody that week one was crisis management and week two was ugly crying. <laughs> it was like weeping <laughs> in right. front of kids. It was mourning the loss of a business that I had spent 33 years building. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And week three, I dusted myself off and I said, this is not going to be the way I'm going to handle myself. And I'd reached conclusions very quickly. I am like the Energizer Bunny and like really, really fast. And I could see the writing on the wall that we were not coming back for a while. And that, you know, I had to figure out some solutions that at least temporarily kept this brand alive. I was comfortable that, you know, my team was at least because of the stimulus checks, they were comfortable. And because of California Choice and Obamacare, they had insurance, they were taken care of, right? So I was not stressed out about like individually somebody struggling, which I wouldn't have been able to handle. I'm too much of a softy, too idealistic. And so then I, I sat down and asked myself, what can I do? How can I be part of the solution? What can I offer to the community? And a lot of my friends were posting on WhatsApp all these empty aisles of toilet paper and paper towel and all of that. And I knew I had a lot of supplies because of our stores being so close to each other. We get everything into our warehouse and then we deliver to our studios. So I had a supply room full of products that everybody was looking for. And I started and I had contact information for my clients. So I pivoted the company towards e-commerce and got zebabeauty.com organized and Shopify organized. Initially, we were just delivering toilet paper to our friends and family in our family car, which everybody was cracking up. I would just text everybody, I'm in the toilet paper business now. You know, and and I think everybody that knows me knows that I will do what it takes to survive. I'm a survivor. I am a creative person. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a type A personality and I am crazy. And I am not someone that is afraid of, I don't care. There's no humiliation and embarrassment. I have, you know, I mean, if you look at my mother's hands, they are like, like this curved, you know, she has arthritis in her hands from threading. Mm -hmm. We are a hardworking immigrant family. So to us, it was like, okay, what do we do now? And so we started by selling toilet paper and paper towels and gloves, all the things that we had, hand sanitizer, and then we added masks, and then we added KN95s, and we added, and we made sure that we were not going to gouge. We made sure that we were not going to take advantage of the situation. We're not a not-for-profit. We're not not making money on these products. We can't afford to do it for free, but we can afford to be still a place you can come and trust to get the right product at the right price. So that's what we did. That was eight weeks ago. And I'm learning. It's different. And then eight weeks later was three days ago. And then the protests start and the riots start and the looting starts. And all the money that I had made, I had put in inventory. And 
I had to then start to protect the inventory because it was like, you know, so we ended up reaching out to the city and the mayor of Artesia and, you know, everyone, all the vendors and the city council, everybody, they hired the city, hired extra sheriffs and protected the street because there's a lot of jewelers on our street. I was not as as worried about our building as I was about our neighbors and people I've grown up with on Pioneer Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And so thankfully, the looters came, but they were driven away. And we were able to protect our assets, but it's the only asset we have. And so the one store that I had opened, which is the zebabeauty.com, today, just now, 15 minutes before I got on the call with you, we were able to send out messaging to our clients that what our product for the week is, what, our, what do we have available for them? Because when we send them a message, they buy. When we don't send them a message, it's like the store is closed. Mm-hmm. And so with one store open, we've had challenges even there. All of a sudden, our zebabeauty.com went from like $5,000 in revenue a year to $20,000 in the first month. Okay. And it triggered the credit card company's automated system and completely froze our funds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, I called up my credit card guy and I said, I had 14 studios. They're all closed. I had one store that was open and now I can't get the money from that store. Do I laugh or do I cry? Tell me what do I do? You know, and every week there's a big challenge and you face that challenge and you move forward, you know? And the riots and the protests, how we're responding to it, we're saying, okay, you know, it's not safe out there. COVID is still out there. So we are offering anyone that's listening, you know, if you're a proper organization and you're about to do a protest and you need masks, reach out to us because we will support you. We will, we're not the type of people, we're not a very rich, like over the top crazy family and our company, we're too big to be small and too small to even be medium. Mm-hmm. We're stuck in that really painful place in our lives. And we are no longer even medium. We are now back to being a startup. But whatever I can do, whatever I can do to contribute to the community, to show my support as community member, I try. I give you, back I can. You are so inspiring. You are so inspiring. And you know, resilience is what I'm hearing. You gave yourself a week and then you got up and figured out a new path. That is, that's so inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So what is next? Do you have any idea for when you might be able to open your stores back up for your primary business, what that'll look like? Or are you just kind of living day to day right now? You know, you can imagine with the number of clients we do, what the number one question is asked to me on a daily basis. You know, it is, when are we opening? When will you open? Yeah. When will you open? And the only answer I have at the moment is not in June. I don't have clarity. I have control over one thing, which is when not to open. And I'm taking a stand, which is why for me, a podcast like, like this was important. I made the time for it. I'll continue to make the time for these things. I hired Stephen because I feel that it's my responsibility to make sure that touch services like threading don't go out the gate too soon. Mm-hmm. Our touch services, I think it's important for us to take responsibility and, and measure. You know, There are ways to sterilize, sanitize, disinfect, by the way, those three things mean something completely different. There is a difference between sterilization and sanitization and disinfection. There's mm-hmm. a completely different, there's a difference. 
We need to know what that is. We need to educate ourselves. We need to leverage the products that are out there and the things that are out there that can help us clean and make sure that we are safe to open. And until it is safe to open, I will take a stand and I will not open. No matter what it costs my company, no matter what it costs my family, it may be the end of Ziba if it takes way, way too long. But I just don't feel that as a community member, it's a responsible thing for me to put my team at risk. You know, until I want to be touched by someone, I don't feel it's... So I'm kind of aligning myself with schools in some ways. Mm -hmm. I am paying a lot of attention. My brother-in-law is a pediatric infectious disease doctor here locally. So I talk to him very often. I'm educating myself on UVC technology, on foggers, on sanitization, and sterilization. When Ziba Beauty opens, we will be the safest place you can go to. When we will open, it's when it's safe. Mm-hmm. And it's like what comes first, the egg or the chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, at the moment we're going to, we are requesting all our clients to, we've got a campaign going that's called hashtag Save Zebra Beauty. And it is just go on our site. We've got COVID essentials that we're selling at affordable prices. And we are making sure that we're vetting the product. We're making sure that you're not getting product that is not safe, that is not of good quality. And then we're also creating at-home essential, not essential, but at-home kits. Like we launched the Brow at Home kit for our clients and we are working on virtual brow consultations that we're launching next week. So you're the first person we're telling about it, that our clients can then have a virtual consultation with the kit and we can guide them through because I think the need of the hour right now is comfort. And I think if we can provide that connection and comfort through Zoom, through appointments, so that they can talk to their favorite beauty artists and we can guide them through where to pull, where not to pull, and kind of make sure that they feel like they have their artist connection. So right now, that's what we're trying to do. And I think a lot of people in the beauty industry are trying to go virtual until we can open and it's safe. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what we're doing. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. And What it brings to mind for me, I've heard people say, you know, the world's been on pause or we've been on pause, but what I'm not hearing that you've been on pause one minute through this thing. And you're. I I am busier today than I was before this thing happened. You know, I made myself a personal commitment that I was not, I I feel like, and maybe I think it's just because I'm giving myself a hard time. I I feel like I got caught with my pants down. (laughs) I feel like, you know, why, why were all my eggs in one basket? You know, why had not, why had I not diversified a little bit and, you know, created a little bit of a backup plan? Now I have a nest egg. I do have some savings. I used a lot of them to bail out Ziba but I still have enough to be able to, you know, a little bit of a runway for myself personally. Saving Ziba, it's a taller order. I did not have the same runway for Ziba. And so to me, it was like, okay, what can I do to save Ziba on one hand? So I'm working on that, but I'm also simultaneously working on a couple of other projects so that I'm not in a position where if something completely extraordinary happens, which will be beyond my control, that I have nothing left. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing multiple things. I'm teaching myself. I'm partnering with 
fantastic, intelligent people and I am learning and I'm not boxing myself into that, oh, I only have to be in the beauty industry and that Ziba can only stay as a beauty salon. You know, I experimented with a new logo. I removed beauty and I had it health. I am talking to all my friends and seeing how can we do things together? How can we, you know, what do you have that I can offer to my customers? What do my customers have that they can bring to me? And so I'm in school, I'm learning, I'm hustling like there's nobody's business. And, you know, I feel that I'm going to come out of this thing much stronger. I'm, I'm a strong person, but I think I'll come out of it even stronger and better for it. I will never forget the difference between essential and non-essential and the things that I thought were such a big deal. I can live without them. It's okay. And I think so can a lot of us. We really need to look inside. Yeah, I think we've all learned a lot. And it's such an inspiration to hear you talking. And, And I know that this is going to have a lot of meaning for a lot of retailers, business owners, people who are you know, there were people launching companies in this and, you know, and now they're trying to rethink everything. And there were people that have been doing it like you for 30 years and everything got turned upside down. So thank I can you for sharing that. We, we had just opened up a store in Century City Mall. And on Monday of the week that we closed, we were planning the grand opening oh, for wow. our new store. On Wednesday, we were laying off everybody in that store and closing that store and postponing like the opening. And then on Friday, we were closing the entire company down. And on Monday, we laid off the entire team after 33 years. You know, We've been closed now for almost three and a half months. And we are probably going to be the last phase that's going to open, open up, yeah. in California especially. So I can relate to it. I'm just not allowing it to defeat me, you know, okay, it's a failure. It's a lesson. And so now what? You know, I learned very early on and I attended a product that's like landmark MIT, it was called Life mm-hmm. Spring. And they use this terminology that stayed with me, which was so what, now what? No. And not meaning that so what, like what happened doesn't matter, right? It matters, but it happened. It's in the past. There's an ED at the end of happen, happened, it's done. So what? Let it go. Now what? What can you do now? Because if you, you're just stuck in what happened in the past, you're never going to move anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to be frozen. Dust yourself off. Talk to your friends and family. Look at your Rolodex. Ask yourself, what can I do now? Now what? And you get something will come out of it. Maybe you can start cooking. My mother's keeping herself busy feeding her family. You know, maybe you can do something, something. Got to be something. Sumita, I love that. And thank you for sharing that. Well, how inspiring. And you've given us so many great things to think about. But I always like to ask my guests before we conclude, and I could talk all day because this has been so much fun. Is there one piece of advice that you would leave with our listeners? And I know you gave us a lot of great, a lot of great things to think about already. You know, I was part of a reporter's webinar. I don't know. I think they get together and there's a bunch of reporters from the ethnic media that gets together. And there was a speaker that spoke about how in crisis, women step up and women save the day. 
And yet in funding, women have 2% of the funding that we forget about women when things Mm -hmm. get better. And so my advice, my ask, my, I think what I would want to leave the listeners with is support the women led families and companies in your, in your atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Women, even in the poorest countries are the nurturers and are the are the ones that actually grow things and make things happen. And they don't necessarily get recognized, you know, go to and support the local businesses that are hurting. Amazon has enough business. And, you know, I know that, you know, the Starbucks in our neighborhoods are already repaired. You know, that doesn't mean that Starbucks doesn't need to be supported. I'm not saying ban like big organizations by any means. I give business everywhere. But but don't forget that, that first of all, pay attention to something that a woman is doing in your life, in your atmosphere and support those companies and, and give back, I think. And don't forget the woman at the end of this thing, because I think if you look around you, there's a lot of us, you know, really, like we are working from home, taking care of our kids, taking care of our homes, taking care of our businesses, taking care of our bosses, and coming up with solutions, pivoting our companies, and we can use your help. And don't forget about us. That's wonderful. You are certainly an inspiring female entrepreneur and the epitome of the entrepreneurial mindset. Samita, thank you for joining me today. You mentioned, I know I personally am going to follow your company because I'm excited to see where where everything is headed. I know it's going to be fabulous and it's all going to work out. But how can our listeners support Zeba Beauty and find out more about Zeba Beauty? So our Instagram is at the Zeba Beauty, T-H-E-Z-I-B-A Beauty. And our website is zibabeauty.com, Z-I-B-A, beauty.com. Please go on, shop, keep in touch with us, send us messages of things you're looking for. We might be able to find them for you. I'm crazy enough to source for you, even if it's just for a single person. If I can help you, reach out and trust me, if I can help you, I will. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. 